Welcome to Business City, where we give you a helicopter view of what's making pounds and cents in Cambridge. On today's programme, James Cotton from OneSpace Media has advice on apps and time-saving tools for business. We'll bring you the latest business news. But first, Joe Christie, better known as Miss Sue Flay, is a very popular local food blogger who also does nice line and afternoon teas. Joe's been telling Sue Bailey about her blog and what it led to, and how blogging was a complete accident in the first place. So in about 2009, I was very, very bored. I literally was bored of going home every day after work and sitting and watching the telly. So I Googled how do I challenge myself and I came across lots of bloggers. Long story short, a lot of pop-up afternoon tea events in London. Um, And at the time, there wasn't really a very exciting food scene in Cambridge. So I decided to almost copy... (laughs) what was going on um, in London and bring it to Cambridge. Then I brought it to Cambridge. All the other pop-up supper club hosts were blogging alongside it. That was the way of advertising their supper clubs. So I figured that was what I had to do. So I started a blog and literally I looked back the other day and my first blog post literally said, hi, if you're out there reading this, thank you. This is what I'm doing. I hope it works well. You know, queue four or five years later, I had no idea where it would take me and what it would do. It's just been a really amazing accident. The last few years have just, they've been so up and down. I've done so much and now I'm I'm back into working full time. From my blog, I've learned so much and I'm now, um, I'm a full time social media manager um, and I'm currently running over 45 social media accounts. It's It's a massive job. It's in the travel industry. Um, I get to write about food, drink, travel all day. It's just, it's my dream job. Five, six years ago, that wouldn't have been the case. It's just, you know, how things have turned around. (laughs) So what was the job you were doing at the time? So I was, I worked in social media um, and I got made redundant. So with my redundancy money, I decided to try and be my own boss. That was the plan. That was something that I really wanted to try. So I took my supper club, which was called the Secluded Tea Party, um, and my hostess name was Miss Souffle, mainly for safety. I didn't want people to know my real name at the time. And I just decided to to give it a go full time. So I did a lot of afternoon tea pop-ups. I did private catering, so I did a lot of baby showers and hen parties, birthday parties, um, and it really took off. I started teaching afternoon tea baking lessons in people's homes. Um, I've always had a passion for baking. Um, I did food tech at school um, and I I always, you know, when I was a brownie, I used to love the brownie cookbook. I always enjoyed baking, so it just felt natural. And afternoon tea is just so beautiful and so easy to write about and enjoy. So, um, and the social element as well, afternoon tea, especially as a supper club, is a great way for strangers to come and enjoy something, pass the food around, pour each other the tea. It's almost an icebreaker for people who don't know each other. So Mm. it just worked really well. Mm. Were you involved in doing a tea at the Eat Cambridge, the first Eat Cambridge, hidden away in the back of the Guildhall? Because that's right. I seem to remember you doing that. Yeah, all Mm. sorts of things, Mm. and a lot of them were vintage-inspired tea parties, but. 
the rebel in me also wanted to do tea parties that had my stamp on them. So I used to do a lot of zombie tea parties and lots of gory themed tea parties. So I did Breaking Bad themed parties. Mm -hmm. I did a Tarantino inspired tea party. I did all sorts of different weird things and it worked really well because it just got different people interested in the pop-up scene. So... Um, yeah, I, I've really dabbled. Tell me a little bit more about your blog and the elements of your blog at the moment. So at the moment, my blog has, I mean, it's really bloomed. It started as an afternoon tea blog, blogging about my events. And then it, it kind of went naturally from there. I, re- I reviewed a lot of afternoon tea venues because people wanted to know where was my favourite afternoon tea. So it naturally became a review blog. And then from afternoon tea reviews, it it graduated into, you know, visiting hotels for afternoon tea. I was then going to spa breaks. So there's a lot of spa reviews there as well. Um, And then from that, um, travel. So it's taken a good few years for it to develop that way, but I think it works. Hmm. Um, Is it... Would you say a commercial blog? So in other words, do you get paid for going for afternoon tea or a spa break? Sounds ideal. (laughs) No, I've always kept it that way because there are a lot of places that do afternoon tea not very well, should I say. And I've always been of the opinion, um, if you've got nothing to say, that nothing nice to say, say nothing at all. So if it's not on the blog, then I haven't enjoyed it or I haven't been. I like to pay for my own afternoon tea. Um, I just think it's it's a more genuine review. Sometimes I have been offered the odd afternoon tea and I haven't turned it down. I have done it, but I would always declare it. Never monetized the blog. Natural progression for me was a lot of startups and food companies asking me for help on social media, blogging advice. So I set up um, a sister site called Stir Up Media, which was to help mainly food-based um, clients with their social media and blogging. So that's how I've made my money over the last few years. Mm. So that you already had the expertise in social media. Yeah. You then developed your own company. Yeah. And now, work-wise, you're running, I gather, a lot of social media exactly. accounts. And, yes. I mean, Miss Souffle is, is my brand in itself. It started as a secluded tea party. And Miss Souffle just stuck I mean it was a hostess named hide behind but it's actually the brand that grew Um, I rebranded as misssouffle.com because that's how everyone knew me so that's you know building that brand has sort of made people see that it's worked and they want to know how to do it so that's how I've helped I mean, as it's, as it's sort of gone on, Stir Up Media has helped. Um, I've worked with Hot Point um, and I've done a lot of stuff with the BBC Good Food Show as well. And we do a lot of, we did do a lot of live tweeting whilst we were at the BBC Good Food Show. So with demo kitchens, a lot of the chefs, you know, they're cooking things. So we're doing a lot of live tweets whilst they're there doing it. So it's, it's been really, really interesting. Mm. Was there anything that you found difficult about the blog, particularly when you started? Um, Yes, I think the most difficult thing was actually balancing the blog with work and a social life as well. That was my main issue. And also just what to say. I always worried that I wasn't writing the right thing or I wasn't a natural writer. Um, The best advice that was ever given to me was Tim Hayward, who now owns Fitzbillies, um, co-owns Fitzbillies. And he always said to me, you should write as you talk to a friend in the pub. 
that was great advice. When I wrote a blog, I'd literally stand there and talk to myself whilst I was writing it. And, and what I would say to myself is what I would write. And that's, that's the way I've always blogged, the way I've always written. So you didn't do any journalism courses or blogging courses? No, nothing like that. I hosted a blog, uh, hosted a blog fest event um, once as one of my tea parties. And I literally invited a panel of um, blogging, writing photographic experts to come along and help people who wanted to learn how to blog more. I found it probably just as useful as everyone else in that room did. It was really, really interesting. And that really got me into networking and make sure I surround myself with people who are interested, not just in food, but in social media, in blogging, because there's just so much you can learn from other people. Mm. So... Things like the Grub Club now perhaps yeah. have taken on some of that yeah, role definitely. of networking yeah. as, a, as a food networking exactly. in the Cambridge area. Yeah. Has blogging brought you amazing opportunities or experiences? Because I've built up an expertise in afternoon tea and the etiquette of afternoon tea, I've, I've been invited to do a lot of TV work, so I filmed with Nigel Slater. Um, I've been on the BBC One show. I've filmed for BBC's Escape to the Country. I've filmed with Alan Titchmarsh. I've done some very bizarre, random things, and it, it's just been really good fun. Yeah. I've had recipes printed in in baking books. You know, the list goes on. It's just it's just been really good fun. And this is all as a result, really, of your blog, or you going actively to seek these yeah. people. Yeah, I think most of the the TV and the radio appearances have been people coming to me, and I guess you know I shouldn't. Nobody should undervalue what they do and what they can offer. But you know, they want me for my expertise, and that's what I've built up. So it's you know, it's important to to learn and be able to teach other people. What has surprised you most about blogging? the things that happen from it what you know saying yes to something what it can actually do to your life or how it can you know make things um really interesting i said yes to using rodder's clotted cream um at my tea party events and then that led to going down to their headquarters and having a, a vip um tour nobody else has had this tour so it was a once of a lifetime opportunity only the prime minister has been behind the scenes and i've seen everything all their secrets which some of them I'm not allowed to divulge. Um, and my family have sat with us around a table with Mr Rogers himself and he's read them a bedtime story. I mean, you know, that's just from saying yes to using a cream at my tea parties. Just What have been your most popular posts? My most popular posts have been things like how-tos, so how to host a royal tea party. Um, I have a big American following and they love to know how to put on a good English afternoon tea. So um, how to make a cucumber sandwich, the great scone debate, so jam versus cream, what goes first. Those are my most popular posts. What about your personal favourite? I My personal favourite is the not-so-glamorous side of afternoon tea, all the dirty work that no-one sees behind closed doors. And I'm sure a lot of you know, restaurateurs and coffee shop owners will laugh and, and know just how dirty it can be. <laughs> And people, you know, they think it's so glamorous. And mm. As Joe Christie uh, speaking to Dr Sue Bailey about her blog, still to come on Business City, we'll hear from James Cotton of One Space Media. And today we're going to be talking about apps for small businesses. 
First, though, let's take a look at some of the news happening around our business city uh, this week. And the Cambridge games developer behind Runscape has recorded record revenues for a second successive year. Yagex made £74.4 million in 2016. That's a year-over-year increase of 28%. Last year, Yagex was bought by Chinese investors and is now part of a larger group called Fukong Interactive Entertainment. The craft beer revolution may have transformed Britain's pubs, but restaurant chains are lacking behind in terms of choice and value. That's according to new research by Anglia Ruskin's university's pub lab. The study looked into beer choice in 65 high street branded restaurants across the UK. It found that on average there's only a choice of six beers when compared to 26 wines. Beer choices were dominated by Peroni, Corona and Budweiser, with little opportunity given to locally brewed beers or a range of beer styles. Stansted Airport has been given planning permission for a new £130 million arrivals hall. The 34,000 square metre facility will span three levels with larger immigration and baggage reclaim areas. Chief Executive Andrew Cowan said the new facility would transform the airport's infrastructure but denied it would lead to a second runway. Footfall on the UK's high streets is expected to increase 5.4% over the Easter weekend compared to the same period last year. Springboard predicts the timing of payday before Easter, mild spring weather and a continued trend for eating out and drinking will all help. And the Cambridge Index lost 0.4% or 98.4 points to settle at 22,713.5 as index heavyweights such as Johnson Matthey and DS Smith posted weekly losses to their share prices. Welcome back to Business City, where we give you a helicopter view of what's making pounds and cents in Cambridge. Time now to meet our regular guest once again, James Cotton of One Space Media. And this week, James has advice on apps and time-saving tools for business. James, welcome back to Cambridge 105 and Business City. Now, today, we're going to talk a little bit about the kind of tools that people can use in their everyday business. We're not talking hammers and screwdrivers. We're talking electronic, I guess, computer aids, really, as much as anything else. I don't know there's a better way of describing them. I don't know. I think that, you know, they're just uh, they're applications that sit somewhere in the cloud, essentially, and help us uh, do it with our daily lives, whether it's business or home. And the problem is, I, I find, is navigating your way around them. You might want something, time management, that's a, mm-hmm. a, an obvious one. You stick a, a search into either Google or perhaps the Apple App Store, time management, Hundreds come back. Yep. How on earth do you work out which one is right for you? Because uh, the right one for me might not be the one that you choose. Yeah, I think there's a difference, you know, whether we're talking about sort of, you know, company time management or individual time management. I think that, you know, they're obviously two very different offerings. I think if I talk quickly about, you know, company time management, we use a system called Harvest, for example, that um, has a small application which is um, installed on all of our, you know, all of our staff's computers. What they can do then is that they essentially can apportion their time towards 
towards different projects and different clients that they work on and management can use it to generate reports or invoices and it's an incredibly important tool for our business. I guess the danger in any business isn't there that you end up spending too much client time on one client and that particular client may be completely delighted but uh, you need to make sure that the right amount of resources are given to all of the projects well, I think it's really, really important for, you know, project planning, essentially, and, you know, the project managers that we wrap around, you know, our, our kind of delivery teams, essentially. You know, these are these these sorts of tools are invaluable to them on a daily basis just to forecast time into the future, also see how it feeds into sales and business development, what can we take on at any one time, uh, and also to make sure that, you know, we're, 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 getting, we're managing our cash flow in any given month. Mm. What, what about um, individuals? What, um, I work from home, I work uh, collaboratively, with a number of people we're scattered not just in the UK but a couple of others in, in continental Europe as well and it's, and it's tricky you know um, here we all are we're a sort of moderate sized company but at the same time the, the difficulty is we have a, but also individuals. How, how do people cope with that in these days where certain people hop from project to project? I think that's really, really important. I think, you know, there's, there's jobs that computers do very, very well. And I think, you know, from to-do lists or collaboration and that kind of organisation. Now, often a lot of these kind of new applications out there, they will offer you things like calendar management, to-do lists, but they'll also wrap it around a way for you all to communicate and be able to communicate kind of in different channels, you know. And I think that we use a system called Base Camp. We also use a, a more visual tool called Trello, and they essentially allow our teams to collaborate internally, but also allow our clients to be part of that kind of wider collaboration, no matter where they are in the world or what their time zone is. And they're easy to, to log in, give somebody an account for, and, and I guess for some people, you don't want to give them all the goodies. You just want them to see a certain element that relates to them. You've got it. You don't want to you know, kind of invade people's daily lives with this, you know, huge learning curve for a new application. And I think the one that we choose are very intuitive and you know usually if you can use the internet or you can use something as simple as Microsoft Word you can use these applications and that's why we choose them. You mentioned Microsoft Word I, I can imagine some people listening and saying about time and I've got Google Calendar that, that does course. just that does just fine yeah. um, and it is the problem with some of these so many things in life really actually if I find these days that you may say pick a couple of apps and they work nicely together they mm -hmm. may have some kind of int integration deal going on and then you get a third app <laughs> it's not playing nice with these two apps it, it likes another one which do exactly the yeah. same job how do you how do you avoid all of that? I think you just have to be selective, um, you know. And when you're, I think it's it's good to kind of get these demo applications essentially and try them out for a little while. And usually there's some kind of free service that you can try things out on. Before. And you try them, would you, amongst say two or three people in the office, just to make sure it's not just one person's view on yeah, that? Yeah, and I, th I think for us in in our industry is obviously uh, we've probably got higher levels of adoption of these tools, you know, just because we are in the digital industry. Um, and often we are getting recommendations by our peers by our clients and we're trying things out because you know we may and we we hopefully will become advocates of those products as well I mean just to give you um, some uh, a quick insight into some of the other things we use for all our human resources activity holiday bookings salaries pay rises we actually use a product called kin uh, kin HR which is an American startup which has been going for two years now now 
previously we'd worked with um, you know spreadsheets to have all this information and you know yes I may be the MD of a company but I actually hate spreadsheets I prefer information to be given to me in a much more visual um, format and what Kin allows me to do is very quickly manage any aspect of human resources across the organisation and it also provides me with a dashboard essentially so I can see anything that's happening in real time um, so for me it's an invaluable part of our business one of the problems uh, which I've had is actually persuading my colleagues to to pick up on on any app beyond the you know the word and the the, the Excel and that sort of thing. Well, I finally managed to do it was with a communication tool called Slack. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure you'll be familiar with it. Uh, you can divide things up into channels. You can have some people receiving some channels. In other words, the work which is relevant to them, not what's relevant to to, to others. But buy-in is just, it's tricky, isn't it? Because you don't want to have one person up the corner of the office. Obviously, we've been a company like yours and many companies. You're not going to have somebody who refuses to use digital technology. But they'll be the person who just can't get on with a particular app. I, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head with that, Julian. I think that adoption across an organisation, when it's enforced on people, can be difficult. And I think you see this, especially across much larger organisations who suddenly they may have a change in some sort of you know, their project management infrastructure and people hate it because, you know, humans don't really like change that much. But once they're in it, you know, if the benefits are there and they, you know, they're getting better outcomes from it, you, you think to yourself, why didn't we do this two years ago? But so you, you're picking up on Slack, and I think you know this is, as you probably know already, that this is a, a very, very important part of our communications infrastructure at, at One Space Media. Slack provides us with a way to instantly message each other under different threads. It allows us to hook into um, different parts of our technology stack. So, for example, if any of our websites ever go down, a Slack message is automatically generated and sent to our developers. So we have all of this kind of clever automation that's built into it so it kind of in some ways acts as a kind of bit of artificial intelligence uh, you know that provides us with access to information across all of our kind of um, client and in and, and one space media's infrastructure and so and slack's a good example as well on on business model <laughs> I, I find myself on the edges of paying for slack i yeah. think one more integration <laughs> with something and uh, we we get a bill but that's reasonable enough. These mm. companies aren't going to give their their services for nothing. There's other apps that I use, Hootsuite, exa- for example, mm-hmm. for, for for social media. Yeah, More than happy to pay because of um, the, the the amount of uh, of networks that are, that I I find myself look, looking looking after. Uh, that's the balance, isn't it? Because for a small company in particular. If you subscribe to too many of these things, you, you've got a major cost on your hands. You have, and I think sometimes it's difficult to track the amount of uh, digital subscriptions we have as individuals and as companies, essentially. And, you know, I think at any one time, we've, as an organisation, we've probably got at least 100 digital subscriptions for different parts of our organisation. But for me personally, how many digital subscriptions do I have in my, in my daily life? I have no idea, um, especially as I have three children who are probably subscribing to things all over the place on my, uh, on my credit card so <laughs> i'm mildly worried about that we'll probably come to this on a on another edition <laughs> but of course you've got people like microsoft and also adobe which now do their own digital subscriptions instead of popping down to uh, i say popping down to staples one can't really do that anymore uh, but instead of popping down to the local supply center or order, ordering online and getting mm. a great big box in the post with the cd and these are all updated 
almost in real time as you go along every yeah. every week, few weeks or so. There'll be there'll be another update. So you've always got the latest version, but you're also always paying for it. I think I think it was a really really important evolution in the business models of these types of you know these big software giants. And I was especially pleased when Adobe, um, you know, basically moved all their software into the cloud, and it was based on subscriptions because previously as a, as a creative organisation we would have to buy into the whole suite on an annual basis. Essentially, it could cost us anything up to a thousand pounds per big software box essentially and that's a big outlay especially if you're doing that for four or five uh, different employees at any one time and so you know moving towards a pay per month scheme actually you know helps us with the cash flow and ensures that we're always up to date so I'm, I'm, I'm all for those types of uh, software delivery models Okay, James, let's uh, call a halt to, to things at this point. It, it's one of these topics which I'm fairly convinced that we'll come back to at some point in the future. So if there's anything you think we should be discussing, email is drive at cambridge105.co.uk and we'll take a look at some maybe of, of your chosen topics at some point in the future for the moment. Uh, James Cotton from One Space Media, thanks very much. Thank you, Julian. And thanks very much to James. Do get in touch with the programme on that particular address if you do have anything you'd like to raise. Uh, we'll take a couple of weeks break because we're going to be doing election studio for the next couple of Tuesdays, uh, but the programme will be back again during May. Uh, we're the business, uh, Business City. See you then. <laughs> <laughs>